Welcome to the Life Church STL podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages and inspires you. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. I'm going to be speaking in Hebrews 6 this morning. And, uh, you know, Pastor Rick. Last week, during the communion, he just did an amazing job of just laying out that moment of communion and talking about the oath and the covenant that God made with Abraham and that picture of what Christ was going to do on the cross and that moment of, of God asking him to lay out uh, those animals and on each side and to make that oath because do you guys remember if you're here that he said because that's what they did then that they would take these these animals and say I'm swearing to you that we are together in this that there is no separating you and I and they did that man to man but God came and did that God to man with Abraham and said I am swearing by my name, I am making this oath with you that the things that I've spoken over you will come to pass. And here in Hebrews 6, you have this scripture where it is speaking about that moment and giving just some insight and some things. And I want to, I don't know, it's just, it's getting me fired up reading this and studying it. And so I hope it does the same to you. So I'm going to read it in uh, Hebrews 6, starting at verse 13. It says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could not swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he, ob- he obtained the promise For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of dispute. Thus God determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of of Melchizedek. (laughs) So we have in the scripture, like I said, this talking about that moment with Abraham where God made this promise. And here in Hebrews 6, 13 and 14, it says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. 
First of all, you have this moment where, where God is coming and, and because he cannot use anybody else or anything else to make a promise because there is nothing greater than him. He used himself to make that promise and that oath, and that's what this is saying. He said, I swear to you, make this oath to you on my own name because it is the name above every name. Because there is no name that is greater than my name. I have to use my own. And I make this promise to you that those things that I've spoken over you, they will come to pass. They will happen. So in verse 15 it says, Hebrews 6.15, And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. It's so interesting because you have this moment where it says, it says God used his own name to make this oath and saying, this is going to happen. You know, there's so many times in our life where we're like, God, where are you at? What, what's going on and why hasn't this happened yet? You know, we all have those moments. Or you've spoken these things we've been praying for so long for this thing to change in our life, our relationship, and, or, or this healing to happen, or, or whatever it is. And, and like, God, when is it going to happen? And this scripture is telling us, it says, it says listen, it's going to happen. It will happen. But then in verse 15 it says, but after patiently, after you patiently endured, Man, to me, that's a frustrating, I don't know if it is to you, that's a frustrating statement. Sometimes it seems that God's promise, those things that he's spoken over us or spoken into our lives, that, that they're still far off or you don't know when they're going to happen. And that's what it's saying about Abraham, that God has spoken these things to him and, and spoken these things over him. But he had to be patient. Can we patiently endure? Even in those moments where, where we have those thoughts, you know, those, those things that pop into our mind, is, is God really going to come through in this situation? Can we take and Switch those thoughts out with thoughts of, I don't know when it's going to happen, but I know my God has promised me it's going to happen. And it goes on to explain more. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But God says, those things I've promised, those things I've spoken over you, they will come to pass. And in verse 16, Hebrews 6, 16, it says, For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end to all disputes. See, in this moment, kind of like I already alluded to, that whenever men make an oath, men or women who, humans make an oath, they make an oath to, on the name of someone greater, when you are, you are in a courtroom 
and, and you swear on what? The Bible. That you will tell the truth and the whole truth. So help you God. Right? You swear on his name because his name is greater. And that's what this is speaking. It says, when men make an oath, they have to use a name that is greater. And this oath is a, confirma is a confirmation to end all disputes. Verse 17, thus God determined to show more abundantly, God determined himself to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, and he confirmed it by an oath. Abraham's like, God, I don't know if you remember last week, and, and Pastor Riggie's like, Abraham's like, how am I going to know? Like, look, I'm old. These things you've spoken, I don't see how they're going to happen. How do I know? And that's when God told him, he said, lay out these pieces of animal, and I'm going to come through. I'm going to do this thing that you do with man, but I'm going to do it between me and you. And you can't stand in the middle, right? Pastor Rick said. You can't stand in the middle. And so he said, in that scripture, it said that, that a, a, a furnace and, and a torch, and it was God and Jesus walking in. And Jesus was walking in there for us, for Abraham, because Abraham couldn't get in there with God. I don't, oh my gosh. And this is the picture of, of what Christ is going to do because we can't get in there with God and we can't make things work and, and, and do this thing with God that Christ gets in there, that he goes to the cross and he does this work for us because we can't do it. Thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability. This word immutability means it cannot be changed. It cannot be moved. Nothing can change this. The immutability of his counsel, of what he's spoken over you, what he's spoken to us, the, the promises, the counsel, the, the things that he is saying to you. There is nothing that can change that. It's immutable. It's fact. It's unchanging. And he confirmed it by an oath. You know, I like to look at words. This word, confirmed. I, I, I mean, you guys all, you, you, you are probably like me, and you're like, I know what confirmed means. It's confirmed. It's, it's sure, right? But when you look this word up, in the, the Greek word, it means, I'm going to give a lot of the definition because it's so good. It means to act as a mediator between litigating uh, parties, to accomplish something by interposing between two parties, or to mediate, to act as a sponsor or a surety, to pledge oneself, or to give surety. So in this, it does, it's not just saying that he confirmed it by an oath, but he's saying it's confirmed, this word meaning the reason that it is confirmed because I've stepped in to that situation. It's confirmed and it's sure and it's unchanging because I've stepped in there 
to be the mediator between this dispute. I don't know about you, but that just like blew my mind that this word didn't just mean, oh, it's sure. But it means that there's someone that comes in and makes it happen. And he came in and he makes it happen by his oath, by who he is, by his name. I don't think you guys got it that like I did. I, I just like, I, what? This word. This oath showed that his promises, that God's promises, just like his character, are unchanging. They're immutable. There's nothing that can throw them off or make them not true. And Abraham's trust in God was a catalyst. His trust and hope and belief I mean, he had questions. And God, you know, in these, I, I look at these things and I think, you know, a Abraham said, like, I'm not really sure. He had questions. He did doubt, but he said, God, help me not to doubt, right? How do I know? But then his trust was a catalyst for the promise for the fulfillment of the promise. In Hebrews 6.18, it says, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hopes set before us. There's so much in here. It says these two immutable things. And in these things, it's impossible, just, just remember, he says this, there's these two immutable things that we're talking about here, and, and in those things, just remember that overall, it's impossible for God to lie. So when he does something, when he says something, he does not lie, he cannot lie. But in these two things, we can have strong Consolation. Well, these, these two immutable things are, are, are what he's speaking about here in this scripture, his, his promises, his, his counsel, right? God's counsel, what he is speaking over you, those promises that he, is, that he has spoken over you. The oath that he has made, he's spoken this, says, I, I'm going to be here with you. And like with Abraham in that moment where God and Christ got into that place of sacrifice and made sure to Abraham that what God said was true and that he cannot lie, that also that, that, that was just a foreshadowing and a picture of the reality of what it was foreshadowing, which was the cross, the cross of Christ, that he would take our place, that he would take our place with God. 
because we couldn't do it, right? And when Christ does that, we know that he cannot lie. So he has done that work for us. And those things that he's spoken over us, those promises, those, those things he says, this will happen. You are the one that I've chosen. You, I do love you. I will not forsake you. Look at the cross. Because it's the surety of the oath that I've made to you. And it says that it's a strong consolation. It's so interesting because, it, you know, a consolation. But it's not just a, a consolation. It's a strong one. I love it when I read these things and, and they add those words to really emphasize. You're not just getting a little bit. You're not just getting enough. But you're getting more than enough. So again, looking at the words, this word's strong. He's giving us this strong consolation, right? This word strong means of one who has strength of soul to sustain the attacks of Satan, strong and therefore exhibiting many excellencies. So this is spoken over someone that has the strength of, strength of soul to sustain Attacks of the enemy. And this word consolation. Consolation, this word means exhortation, admonition, encouragement, consolation, comfort, solace. That which affords comfort or refreshment. So when I put these two words together, strong consolation, if I could put those definitions together and give you what I believe it's telling to us, that these things, these this. These two immutable things that, in which God cannot lie, those things that he's spoken over us, who he is, really, who he is, and what he's spoken over us, and this oath that he's made with us. When you say this strong consolation, it means that we would have the strength of soul to sustain attacks of Satan because of the exhortation and comfort that he is giving us. I like that. I don't know if it's what it says in the Amplified Bible, if it expands it like that, but it should. That we have strong consolation. That, that the, because he cannot lie, because he has spoken these things, because he's made that oath with us, that we can live with a strength of soul to withstand the attacks of the enemy, to withstand the attacks of Satan because of the comfort and, and, and the words and, and the things that he is speaking to us. I love that. And that's, that's real helpful, actually, whenever you go back to the fact where, where it says, after he patiently endured right? Because sometimes we have to patiently endure through those things. Like when it says patiently endured, it means like there was attacks, there was discomfort, there was things that happened in Abraham's life. He, he was kind of struggling 
for a bit. And we sometimes have to go through those moments where it doesn't feel comfortable. It doesn't feel like God is doing it when we want it or how we want it or whatever, you know? We're like, God, where are you at? But there is a strong consolation that will help us to patiently endure through those situations. And it's definitely the fact that he cannot lie. You guys following with me? <laughs> In studying this, there's, oh gosh. Just reading some things that Spurgeon had written and, and different people had written about these scriptures and thinking and taking things out of that, that strong consolation, listen, strong consolation does not depend on our health. It depends on God. Strong consolation does not depend on coming and getting something or getting fulfilled or excited at a church service. That somehow that is what is going to sustain us. It depends on God. Strong consolation cannot be shaken by human argument or by human means. Because it is sure and it is dependent on God. And strong consolation is much stronger than any thoughts or guilty conscience or insecurities that we may have. That's what strong consolation is. So let me read that again. Hebrews 6, 18. That by two immutable things, unchanging, unwavering things, they cannot be changed in which it is impossible for God to lie. He has made this covenant with you and I. He has made a promise to you and I, and He cannot lie that He will be with you, that He will not forsake you, that He has done the work in your place, That he has taken that sin and that shame on himself to the cross. That we might have strong consolation. It says, who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. When it says, who have fled for refuge. That's what it's like. It's, it's, we got to flee for refuge. We got to flee the stuff, run away from the mess. See, it's not just that like we're going to sit there and we're going to continue to do what we have been doing, the wrong things. There there's needs to be some action on our part, and it's the fleeing. And, and I'm not going to run to those things anymore. I'm going to run to God, to my place of refuge. That's what it's saying, that we have fled to that place of refuge. And this is interesting because this place of refuge, it's, it's uh, 
similar to back in Genesis, God spoke. And he said, I want you to, to make cities of refuge. That you build these cities all over the place. There was all kinds of them. I don't remember how many. But when, when they came and they were being established, Israel, that there would be cities of refuge. And he said that somebody that, the, the, it says the manslayer, the person that killed somebody on accident might seek refuge from somebody else that's coming to kill them, to, to seek rep, retribution. That there'd be cities of refuge that that person can run to and say, hey, it was an accident. I need help. I need some protection. Being a picture of, of who Christ is and what he would do. That he is our refuge and our strength. He's the one that we can hide in whenever the attack is coming. But we have to run to him. It says in the scripture, I'm not going to read it all. It's, the, it's awesome. But it says that if the, if the manslayer goes out of the city, good luck. You know what I take from that? If I run away from God, good luck. I mean, not that he wants something bad to happen to me, but if I'm not running to him and I'm running away from him, I'm just testing him. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, you know, I'm not going to get into all that, but he says run to him. That city of refuge. And they all it's so amazing that it says in those cities of refuge in Genesis that, that that person, that manslayer, the person that accidentally killed somebody, when they run to that city, that they have to stay there and can only go out of the city once the priest has passed away, has died. So once the priest has died, it says his sins are forgiven. He shouldn't be sought after anymore. Whoa. Do you guys, you can follow in that? So Christ is our refuge. We run to him in those cities of refuge. It put this in the Old Testament saying that once the, the high priest has died, by his death, that person is made free. So who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. You know, it says to lay hold of the hope, to, to, lay, to be able to grab hold of the hope that is set before us. And this word set before us, listen, I'm going to read. I, I just got it. It means to lie or be placed before or in front of. To set before, to be placed before the eyes, to lie in sight. So when it says to lay hold of the hope that's set before us, it's not afar off. He is placed, you know, there's too many times we're like, God, where are you at? And he's like, I just put it right in front of your face. The problem is you turn the other direction. 
problem is you weren't running to my refuge, to my safety, to who I am. You turned around and ran the other direction because it says it was set before us. It's set right in the line of sight in front of us. If we will just turn that direction and run to him, to that city of refuge. Verse 19, (laughs) this hope we have as an anchor to the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. Okay, I've said this before, and it's probably been a long time, but this word hope, it's not like we usually use it now, but this, this uh, word means, uh, it means joyful and confident expectation of salvation. So when it says this hope, it's saying this, this expectation of salvation that we have is an anchor to our soul. And in that time, anchors were, were used for like a picture of hope. I mean, you can imagine anchors, they, they hold a, a ship from storms and when the sea is going all crazy, they throw the anchor down so that it won't be, you know, thrown into the shore. It holds it in place where it's supposed to be. I want to read this this, um, quote by Charles Spurgeon. It says, Our anchor is like every other. When it is of any use, it's out of sight. When a man sees the anchor, it's doing nothing. Right? It's up on the boat. It's not doing anything. When a man sees the anchor, it's doing nothing. When the anchor is of use, it is gone. There it went, overboard with a splash. Far down there, all among the fish, lies the iron, hold fast, quite out of sight. Where is your hope, brother, he says. Do you believe because you can see? That's not believing at all. Wow. Wow. He's saying that anchor of hope. He's like, are you believing? You have that expectation of salvation because you can see something because that's not believing at all. Because that anchor, when it's really doing something, it's down there at the bottom of the the sea or the ocean where you can't even see it. But if you hold fast to that anchor, it will hold you where you're supposed to be. It will keep you safe. Even if you can't see it, you just have to lay hold of that hope. In Hebrews 10, 23, it says, let us hold fast. I love this word. I've said it before. The old sailors used to get it tattooed on their knuckles. I've asked Pastor Tori if I could get hold fast tattooed on my knuckles. She's still a little iffy about it, but. 
Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast. See, in a sense, the, the anchor, the hope that we have is what's holding us where we need to be. But we also have to lay hold that, that term when they said that and why they tattooed it on their knuckles. Because it meant that whenever the seas got rough, you had to hold tight to the rigging so that you wouldn't fall overboard. So that you wouldn't be washed away by a wave off the boat into the ocean. It said, they said, hold fast. Hold, it means hold on as tight as you can because you need to hold on or else you're going to get knocked off. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, the confession of our eternal salvation. Let's hold fast to that, unwavering. Because he who promised, right? What we've been speaking about, that oath, those promises. And he cannot lie. He who promised is faithful. Hebrews 20, 19 and 20. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, in which enters the presence behind the veil. Where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. This word forerunner is a, more of like a military uh, term, someone that goes forward knowing that is like a spy, someone that goes forward and, and, and goes into the place because others are going to follow them. And what it's saying is that, that Christ has gone, it says even Jesus, right? But because of what he's done, that, that he is entered before us, behind the veil, into the presence of God, as that forerunner, as that one, knowing that, that we need to come in behind him, and he's gone before us because we couldn't go before him, that he's done that work. It says, behind the veil, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, this is a whole, probably another message, but I want to just talk about it for just a minute. Talking about Christ, that, that he is the high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, this whole scripture passage that we're, we're studying and in, in learning about is about the, the work that God did with Abraham, the oath that he made. And there's a moment whenever uh, Abraham was, was 
uh, wanting Lot to be saved in, in this whole moment where he's asking God to save Lot, and then God allows Abraham to, to go, and he like destroys these, these cities, and, and there's victory, and he comes out, and he comes across this high priest and king, Melchizedek. It's an interesting thing because this is really the, the only history that we have or the only story that we have of Melchizedek, that he was not only king, but also the, the priest, the high priest. And Abraham comes across him, and, and he blesses Abraham. And then Abraham gives him a tenth of all that he has, that he gives him everything. I, and this whole moment with Melchizedek is a picture of Christ. Because... He's the only one that was king and priest and had this stature. And in Hebrews 7, it's fascinating. I don't know. I, I wish I could preach two more messages on it tonight, today, sometime. You want to come back tonight? Um, Hebrews 7, 1 through 3, it says, for Melchizedek, right? It says, they were able to go, or he, he's gone behind the veil, having become Christ, become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In verse 1, 7, 1, it says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, First being translated, Melchizedek, king of righteousness. Malki and Zedek, king of righteousness. But he was also king of Salem. And then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. I don't, I mean, how could you, I mean, it's definitely a picture of Christ. King of righteousness and king of peace without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning or days, uh, beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. And it's so interesting that this, this, this king priest, Melchizedek, you know there's, anybody ever tried to read through the genealogies in the Bible? It's really hard. But there's lots of genealogies. They tell you this, you know, beget, 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 beget. So you know where everybody came from. But Melchizedek, there is nothing written about where he came from or where he went. And I love this because it's a picture, because God used him as a picture of, I, there are so, 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 so many foreshadowings of Christ and what he's going to do in this Bible. It is wild. What it says Christ is according to the order of Melchizedek, and he's speaking, because this, these people that he was speaking to knew this. He, he, Melchizedek was like this. I mean, it was like legendary. It was, it was like this 
folklore almost probably. I mean, I don't know for sure, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, we don't know where he came from. We don't know where he went. We don't know like his lineage. He was, he was just there and he was king and he was high priest. And he's saying, listen, Christ is not a high priest according to the order of Aaron, which had a lot of mess. You know, the, Le the Levites, there's, there's a lot of mess there. See, God, God put this in here because there was no mess, no fault, no anything written about Melchizedek saying, this is what Christ is going to fulfill. He's not according to the order of Aaron or like the Levites who had sin and mess in them that needed help themselves. He's according to the order of Melchizedek. There was no fault ever written about him. And Christ is that high priest. Not only high priest, he's our king. That he's entered in through the veil before us as our forerunner going in before us saying, I'm leading you to this place into the presence of God and I need to go before you, but I want you to come with me. Will you run to me? Flee from the stuff and flee for refuge in me. Your king, your priest. Would you stand with me? Thanks for listening today. We pray this message encourages you. If you have any questions or you'd like to learn more about us as a church, you can always visit us online by going to lifechurchstl.com.